Desert Island Books on NHR in association with NUH Library Services. Delighted to welcome onto NHR today uh, our special guest, Andy Callow, who is the Chief Digital and Information Officer at NUH. Uh, welcome to NHR, Andy. Good to see you. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's a pleasure. And um, you are going to eventually talk about some of your book choices. Obviously, this is Desert Island Books, but we'd love to get to know something about you, first of all. So um, can you tell us a little bit about uh, just about your background, really? Um, yeah, so uh, I'm, I've joined the Trust in the last seven months uh, as the Chief Digital Information Officer. It's the first time this role's been on the board um, of the Trust, so um, I've got responsibility for all the, the digital data and technology across the, the organisation. Um, so, really interesting job, lots of things where actually our patient care is completely um, reliant on good digital services uh, that, that's delivered um, to give to great quality care. So, um, really interesting uh, role in there. Previously, I was at Kettering and Northampton Hospitals as the Group Chief Digital and Information Officer there. Um, spent nearly four years um, there. Really, again, really interesting process, particularly trying to join up two hospitals um, and, you know, and to make a consolidated service. Um, my NHS experience started off working nationally for NHS Digital. Um, I looked after the NHS website, which got, gets about 50 million visits a month, um, uh, and I did a full technology transformation in, in that, that team. Um, but the thing, I, I guess, that, that was, was really stood out is that I was uh, the, the programme director for the NHS app and took that mm -hmm. from being the back of an envelope sketch from Jeremy Hunt into the app stores um, in about 12 months. And um, I can't claim any glory for what that went on to be um, during COVID times, um, you know, where millions of people were using it as the, as the way of their passport. But Absolutely, um, yeah. I played, played obviously a small part in the, uh, the initial architecture of that, and I'm really proud of that, of that time. Well, I think you're probably understating your own case there a little bit, uh, Andy. But um, yeah, so you, your your background, uh, obviously, a, a lot of digital uh, media and uh, a digital sort of uh, training, if you like. So, so w what about um, educationally? Did you were you always interested in that, and and uh, how did you end up where you ended up? Um, so I first discovered electronics uh, when I was about 15. I did GCSE electronics, and really, I never looked back from that point. I a lot of people don't really know what they want to do in their life. I was absolutely assured that technology was my thing from that point. I spent every bit of time and bit of pocket money on um, electronics and messing about on computers. Uh, since video that point. games. Did you play video games? Um, I was more interested actually in writing uh, code and games rather oh. than than playing them. Uh, you know, that's that's my geek credentials for, for you. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So so that was that was a thing for me. And then I sort of went on. I did an apprenticeship. Um, the the company there then sponsored me to go to university, and then you know sort of went on to a number of private sector companies doing electronics and software right. before then moving into the, the public sector, but all, all to do with technology. So, yeah, um, I remember uh, a programming called Basic. Do you remember that? Yeah, that, yeah, that was my first language. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I was, I was very very unsuccessful at any form of uh, coding, but uh, but yeah, um, I think my first PC was oh, it wasn't a PC. It was it was just a something called a Dragon 32, just yeah. one step uh, uh, after the the ZX81, I think. So uh, we're going back a bit to early 80s. 
Um, but it was, it was amazing how much joy you could get from like a single pixel moving around a screen, just because it was totally new and revolutionary. Absolutely. Yeah, I started my uh, my life with a Dragon 32 as well. So, oh, uh, wow. We've got okay. some common ground. Yeah, we're going to high five very soon. <laughs> but <laughs> you don't get many of our species left. But um, um, great stuff. So, so you, you, you've ended up at uh, NUH and, and described a little bit of, uh, of your role. Um, You've you've been here since January, is That's that right? right. Yeah. Uh, and are there any, any sort of specific uh, challenges uh, that NUH presents um, that uh, you can you can share with us, and any specific targets moving forward for you? Um, yeah. So I mean, the interesting thing about coming into an organisation one, and one that's as big as this is there's there is plenty of challenges to to go at, and there's lots of really good stuff that, that's in place. Um, so some of the things that I think uh, we we we've got. Are some challenges about aging equipment? Um, we've got about 18% of the trust devices that are five years old or older, and that that really has a, a sort of daily impact on, on our, our staff. And so, you know, one of the things that I talk about is getting back to doing the basics brilliantly, and which you know, it's 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 no good talking about some of these great um, future projects using AI. Um, Without the credibility that the the base kit that's that's working, um, you know, doesn't take twenty minutes to boot up when when somebody comes on the on the ward. So, um, so that's one of the, the sort of challenges trying to balance the, those two things. Um, we've we've got a really great network uh, in this this organisation. I think it's one of the one of the strengths um, that goes unseen actually. In that um, it's just one of the things that, that sort of continues to work, and people only realise when it when it doesn't work. And this we've got a, a really good quality network, much better than many many other trusts. Certainly, the, the, from the trust that I've been at. So, you know, there's there's lots of things to celebrate. Um, I think the big thing that I'll be um, that me and the team will be working on over the next few years is to really work on a single or working towards a single electronic patient record. Um, we've got 414 systems across the, the organisation at, at the minute and what that means is it's really difficult to get the, a single patient view uh, of, of, of the information in, in order to make uh, great decisions. It, it adds extra time and so really working towards a, a, a greater consolidation of, of those systems to have you know the electronic patient record um, as the core um, you know is, is going to really make a, a big difference and and of course once you've got some of that information captured you can then do some really interesting things in regarding analyzing that data re, re, whether that's to do with improving services or working out prevention uh, or um, you know uh, Guiding, guiding the, the, the future direction of particular services. So, lots, lots of interesting things uh, ahead. But you know, it's a great. Are you talking about? To sorry, sorry to interrupt you. Are you talking about bedside units there? Um, uh, that relate to, to patient records yeah, and, and so how they interact with we're we're one of the trusts that have a, a massive use of, of mobile. So. Um, Patients that are around the, the organisation will see uh, members of staff on phones or, or iPads um, actually inputted into the clinical record. Um, so you know that that's the sort of thing where we've got at the minute we've got a real mix between recording patient uh, progress on paper and then some bits on on electronically. And so you know our destination is to make it sort of all electronic because then you're able to share that across our multiple sites and, and make sure that the uh, that, that thing is, is up to date as, as, as far as the patient is concerned. But um, so we don't have 
bedside units as, as such. We have a number of things called cows, which are computers on wheels that are, that are used. Um, we've got about 300 of them, but we've got about 15,000 mobile devices across the organisation. Great stuff. So plenty to look forward to and plenty to get your teeth into already yes. at NUH. Um, so uh, what about away from work? What, what, uh, what sort of things do you like doing away from work, Andy? Um, so... Part of my midlife crisis, I've uh, taken up or increased uh, cycling. So probably for the last 10, 12 years, I've, I've really done a lot more cycling. Um, really, really love it. Uh, part of moving uh, to the job here allows me to cycle to work uh, one day a week is my, my target. Um, which which is really great. How um, far do you have to come? Whereabouts are you? Uh, so I'm in Chesterfield, so it's a it's wow. 20, 25 miles uh, each way. Um, but that's a that's a brilliant way to start the day. Um, so what time do you set off? Uh, about quarter to six in the morning. <laughs> All right, dedication. I like it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, it's 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 a great way to start the day. It's not always such a great way to finish the day when you uh, <laughs> when you're leaving quite late and you know that you've still got a, a long slog ahead of you. Blimey, yeah, yeah. I can imagine uh, you might be able to cut through some of the traffic, but still, I mean, that's quite a. What's what's the sort of average time it takes you uh, either way, and is it sort of longer on the way home? Um, so all depends on the wind, and um, uh, but my best time has been about an hour and forty, and my longest time into a headwind all the way is about an hour, two hours fifteen. Oh wow! Okay, very impressed. Anyway, I mm. certainly don't have the uh, athletic chops to, to compete with anything like that. <laughs> I can barely cycle around the block with my twelve-year-old. Um, okay, so uh, apart from cycling, are there other passions that you have uh, away from work? Um, yeah. So well, my got my family. I've been married to Joy for twenty-seven years. I've got three boys. Um, I so love spending time with them. I also really enjoy reading and uh, following Boston United. Well, there's highs and lows of following Boston United, but right. uh, it's one of those things. It's uh, I can't shake them, so uh, you know, have to sort of experience that. Well, it sounds like you've you've stuck by you you know uh, a local club, and uh, you ha have you not got a like a, a Premier League team that you follow as well? Um, not particularly, though. My boys have got a season ticket at Sheffield United. So if, if I had to say there was a, 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 a Premier League club, then that was, sorry to Nottingham folk. No, but, it's uh, okay. That's uh, okay. <laughs> Sheffield United is the We got the three the points the other day. We're okay with that. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, well, I was a student in Sheffield, so uh, I, I love, love it up there. Um, now, you mentioned books, and um, I was going to obviously bring that in because it's Desert Island Books we're talking about today. Um, you are one heck of a reader, and you've even got a graph here. I've, I've seen on, on the piece um, on uh, the website that relates to um, your book choices. Um, you have certain targets. Tell, tell us a bit about your reading targets then. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, this is back to the geek credentials, isn't it, around trying to measure things and d using data. But uh, um, yes, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's something I have, a, I have a personal goal to try and read 50 books in, in a year. And over the course of the last... Um, well, uh, over 20 years, I've been sort of monitoring that on a, on a regular basis and, uh, you know, pretty much hit that or, or exceed it, uh, uh, certainly in the last uh, 12 or so so years. So, um, yeah, it's just something I, I, I really like um, and, you know, it's, it's something to do outside of work. I, I read a variety of fiction and non-fiction, so um, I read a lot of leadership books, I guess you, you could call them, and uh, popular science, that, that sort of thing. 
Yep, yeah, and you've got uh, a really nice screenshot of uh, of your notebook there. You, <laughs> you, you've uh, you've you've kept uh, everything very nice and neatly organised, and uh, handwriting is good. I've got to improve my my handwriting is appalling these days. Um, okay, so let's get into your book choices then. So, uh, what's the first book that you would take on the the desert island and tell us about it? Uh, yeah, so the first book is Enigma by Robert Harris. Um, he's a, an author that I've really um, enjoyed. This was the book that sort of opened my eyes to him as a, as a writer, and I've, I've read everything that he's, he's written since as, as a result of that. I think um, the thing that appeals to me about the, his books, and this book in particular, is around the historical element of it, and you know, it's opened my eyes to some things that have happened in, in history, and particularly... Um, the, this one is about the Enigma code, and actually, as much as I'm, you know, <laughs> enjoyed technology, I didn't really know much about Alan Turing until reading this book, and then reading some subsequent books uh, about him. And you know, Turing is, is one of my heroes as a, as a result of this as well. Yeah, and uh, did you f- see the film based on on the story? I, I did, but uh, I am definitely one of those people that where I, go, the oh, book. I prefer the book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always the film of the book. I don't read enough, but uh, that's a great uh, way to kick off your uh, desert island reading. Uh, book number one. Thanks for that. Um, what about number two then? What have you gone for? Um, so, the, th- the second book is the Thirteenth Tale by Diane Setterfield. Um, not so much about because of the book itself, but more what it signifies. Because um, I did a, an MBA in uh, that finished in 2010, and pretty much that consumed everything, uh, my, all my spare time. And in fact, when I look back at, at how much study time I was doing, it's, it's pretty astronomical. Um, but as you as we've already heard, I'm a big one for lists and goals. And one of the things I sort of that kept me going during that time was to write a list of the, all the things that I wanted to do when I finished the MBA. And one of the ones was around going back to playing football, which I still do badly. Um, but the other one was around starting a book club. Um, and that book club started in 2010 and is still going strong now. And so this book represents the first book um, that we ever read uh, as, as that book. It's it's a it's a it's a, it's a really good read. I think we I think we chose a good book to kick us off because um, you know it, it could have been the start and the end of our book club uh, at, at that point. But uh, um, we, and we've read some more books by the same author since as well. So um, really. Um, a really significant sort of part and uh, you know we meet together monthly uh, it's been a pretty consistent core group mm-hmm. um, and there's something pretty amazing about having a shared set of books that you've read as a, as a group where you can sort of draw on that, that knowledge and talk about them together Excellent stuff. As you say, it's it's good to start off uh, on uh, on the right foot with a book that uh, that does appeal to people, rather than something that puts everybody off the book club. Um, great, so obviously very meaningful uh, there in your uh, personal history of uh, of reading. That's uh, book number two. Then uh, the thirteenth tale. You can tell he's a digital guy. Oh, there are lots of bleeps in the Just background. It off, sorry, <laughs> that's okay. We've had worse. So the thirteenth tale then by uh, Diane Satterfield is, uh, and he's. Number two choice. Um, so let's move on to number three then. What have we got uh, for the third choice on the desert island? Uh, yeah, so next choice is The First 90 Days by Michael Watkins. So this definitely fits into the leadership books. It's a, it's a non-fiction book, and this is about um, how to prepare for the first 90 days in, in a role. And um, 
in, in my career, I've, I've made an, quite a lot of different career um, changes and moved to different organisations. And definitely, it's one of the things that is pretty. It's a hard thing to do: move into a new organisation, try to work out where you fit in, what the challenges are, what, what where you can cre- contribute to. Sure. And <laughs> I, I guess I came to this book quite late in my career as something to read that sort of helps you do do that uh, preparation. Um, but in joining the Kettering Hospital role. Uh, this this book was absolutely fantastic because it sort of takes you through some of the things to think about in in joining a role and and I was really dil- diligent in looking at this because there's some practical exercises that it, it forces you to do in the book about preparing uh, what to do um, splits it up into different things that you need to look at in different days and um, it also helped me look at the organisation in in a much more structured way than I'd ever done before. And it, it meant that I took some decisions in the first six weeks of joining the organisation that I probably didn't, wouldn't have had the experience or knowledge to do um, had I not uh, used this book. So I've, I've recommended it to loads of people since, and I also you know, refreshed myself of it when I joined this role as well. All right, then. So uh, Andy's third choice is The First 90 Days by uh, Michael Watkins. It sounds like you uh, you are very target-driven and, and you find that useful to, to have reference points and things to look, look ahead to. Yeah, it, it, it definitely does. And um, I, I have this thing where I set up some personal goals at the start of the year um, and sort of uh, reference those and try and be intentional about the things I do. I mean, obviously, you know, th- some things fall by by the wayside, but um, I've got into a way, I guess, over, over the, the number of years that um, being disciplined about having some targets and then hold, putting them, blogging them, getting them out on the internet and um, being held, I guess, accountable to them by... Or, or just putting them out there means that I'm kind of become accountable to uh, to trying to do something about them. And so, um, um, yeah, it's it's been something that's sort of grown over the years, I suppose. And and you know, people laugh at me about my my notebooks with lists and my spreadsheets and things like that. Hey, it's working for you, and it's working. It's done. It's done pretty well for you. So we can't knock it. Um, okay, then on to book number four. What's your next choice? Um, this book's called Rebel Ideas by Matthew Syed. Um, uh, he's a, a really interesting thinker um, when it comes to um, the psychology of organisations and in individuals. And uh, this sort of came at a, a time when uh, I was in a, a leadership team and we were sort of talking about, you know, how do we make sure that we're the most effective uh, group of colleagues? How can we make sure that we are leading the organisation in the best way? And um, the, the primary thing about this book was a, around the importance of diversity, uh, cognitive diversity within it within a team. Um, in that, if everyone thinks in the same way, your decisions will be much poorer as a result uh, for for an organisation and the team. And so, um, what this you know this this really reinforce the the idea that actually you need to allow space for what the squeaky wheels in in conversations and people who don't necessarily um agree in the in the first time because actually that's how you get a better decision within within the organization and so um a, a really good um conversation and this is one of the books that actually as a result of it i 
sort of wrote a, a couple of page summary and shared it out with my colleagues uh, because it was it, that impacted me uh, uh, that much and we ended up having sort of conversations about it. Um, some of my colleagues uh, um, sort of roll their eyes when I uh, send them uh, a summary of a book and, and other people have said that, that they welcome it. So uh, um, I continue to do that. So. Well, I'm sure they know you by now, but uh, Matthew Syed uh, um, is someone who wrote a book that uh, my son loved actually a few years ago uh, at the age of about nine or ten. I got him some, something called You Are Awesome, uh, which was aimed at the mindset of kids and, and giving them that uh, that sense of of confidence to risk things and and uh, you know the the whole thing about uh, you, you've got to be brave enough to fail and the, the whole example of the list of people who have been incredibly successful and obviously failed a lot in their lives getting there mm. so uh, he's very good with, with uh, the, the various mindsets I hadn't heard of this one but this is obviously it's it's a significant one in terms of creating that rounded perspective um, from different points of view so that's uh, that's a really nice uh, book number four for uh, for you Andy and uh, let's move on then to your last of the five of books that you've read um, and uh, what you're going to take on as number five um, so, number five is White Fragility by Robin D'Angelo. Um, and it sort of picks up on the, the, the thing around the um, rebel ideas, around the importance of diversity. And, and this is... Um, reading White Fragility was a real eye-opener for me, actually, in, in terms of my, um, I, I guess, sheltered experience in, in terms of uh, cultural diversity with it as, and growing up. And so, um, it really... Uh, opened my eyes to the challenges of racism um, in our society and wider uh, global society um, and made me think about some some things and some biases I have that I'd, I'd thought very little about actually um, and definitely impressed on me that there's uh, it's not good enough just to be non-racist it, it's the, the action is to be anti-racist in, in here and I think what this book did is it gave me uh, enough confidence to be able to tr to talk um, about um, inequality in a way that I had, I was not so worried about getting it wrong because I kind of got to the point where actually I'd rather get it wrong than just stay silent and so um, that, that was the sort of the basis um, um, it, it really, uh, it, it was, uh, I got a bit evangelical about it, I suppose, and I, I bought a load of copies for my teams and for uh, the board at Kettering and Northampton. And um, as an organisation, we, we uh, I led a, some book clubs, uh, book club discussions around the, around that book. So um, we have also uh, scheduled to do a conversation about that in the lead up to um, Black History Month this this uh, year uh, in this organisation and so um, I'm hopefully going to get a load of people to uh, to read the book and have some, some of those discussions and uh, again hope for uh, similar enlightenment I suppose and, and some, some in interesting discussions around different people's uh, perspective there so um, I, I think it's, it's crucial in uh, in a leader's competence to be able to um, uh, be able to talk about um, uh, different cultural diversity with with some sort of uh, uh, confidence. 
not least because of historical inequalities, but you know, going back to the rebel ideas, if you have diversity within an organisation, you make better decisions. You you do things better, and so you know, there's there's uh, you know, many incentives to to get this uh, to improve where, where we are with this. That's interesting. It's a, it's a subject that interests me a lot. The whole uh, concept of of, uh, of them and us and, and defining um, identities and uh, different ways of looking at things. I suppose there are maybe some old school ideas on leadership, which um, may have centered around being a strong and single minded individual and and imposing your uh, your strong views upon others and getting everyone to just um, uh, conform to that. Uh, but um, I think the the world has kind of moved on in, in different ways, isn't it? Yeah, I, I agree. I don't think I don't think the world and I think organisations work like that anymore. That you know the the challenges we have are too complex and and things are moving too fast for any one person to have all the answers. And it's only through um, collective discussion and decision making and from that diverse range of, range of views that we'll get the best the best answers. And so you know we've we've seen that um, you know uh, results. Um, and research tell us that's the place, uh, that's the thing to do. So, um, you know, clearly there's a lot more to do um, in this organisation and in society in, in general. And, um, you know, there's, uh, I, I hope to continue to play my part in that. Great stuff. So book number five for Andy is White Fragility by uh, uh, Robin, did you say D'Angelo? I've got yeah, DeMarco on Yeah, here. it's D'Angelo, actually. Okay, yeah. Robin D'Angelo. Thanks so much for that. Now, we uh, we do have an extra book for you, and I'm sure you won't complain, being the uh, the voracious reader that you are, um, but a book, it has to be that you haven't read so far, and uh, what have you gone for uh, with your extra? Um, yeah, so this is called The Life and Times of Nikola Tesla by Mark Josefa. I think that's how you pronounce his name. Um, and this is around sort of, uh, I guess, technology and engineering pioneers from, from the past. Um, I've, I've really enjoyed reading about the different people who have been just uh, uh, broken the mould in, in, in their different times. Um, are particularly fascinated by Brunel and, and some of the other Victorian engineers who were just... Uh, not prepared to say no about something and would just uh, do some amazing feats uh, of engineering. And so Tesla was someone pivotal to the, the development of electricity. Um, I don't necessarily know much about him. I know that we have um, cars and companies named after him now, but, uh, you know, it's, it's somebody that's, uh, um, you know, quite quite pivotal and I sort of enjoy that sort of historical view of the, of the situation. But I've never got around to reading it. Um, in writing this uh, Desert Island uh, books list, I've actually bought it. It's on my bookcase uh, now, so uh, uh, but not managed to, to read it as yet, but uh, I'm looking forward to it. Just a matter of time. Would you like to um, see see yourself as a, an innovator uh, as well? And sort of are these people you look up to in, in that sense of, of creating something um, completely original or at least something that is, it just it symbolises their own sort of perspective on things um 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't want to sort of try and uh, claim to be anything like the, these people here. But the thing that I've admired with them was they sort of looked at a problem and sort of, uh, you know, kept on going at it until they till they resolved it. And so I think that, you know, I like to think that I've got some tenacity when it comes to trying to solve problems either organisationally or, or um, you know, in, in, in different circumstances. Um, and to be a sort of have... The ability to sort of look at a problem from all kinds of angles to try and have, a, have, have the best outcome there. So, um, yeah, there's, there's there's lots to be inspired by the, those different people. Wonderful stuff. Well, fascinating group of books you've got there, uh, Andy, and uh, thank you so much for sharing those with us. Thanks for joining us. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me on. Desert Island Books on NHR in association with NUH Library Services.